What's up? What's up? What's up, y'all? Hi, and welcome to the Be That Bitch podcast. I am the HBIC, the head bitch in charge, Allie Griffith of this podcast. I am so excited for this week's episode. So y'all know I am an avid runner, just like I am an avid smut reader, right? I love both. They're both my favorite hobbies. And this week we have my running coach, Caleb, on the podcast. I am so excited. Y'all have been begging me to have him on the podcast for so long and it's just been so hard for me to get us scheduled on the books but we finally were able to sit down and have a conversation this is a longer podcast episode we're looking at just over an hour because I could not go without him sharing his story because I am telling y'all it is just one of the most inspiring stories that I have ever heard somebody who has you know, gone from the top to rock bottom, then now the height of his fitness career and all that stuff. It's just, it's amazing. And if anybody can get anything from it, I just needed it to be told. So it is a longer episode. Um, but you know, you know, it's, it's fun. We're fine. Everything's fine, but it's going to be all about running. We're answering your questions. Remember, uh, like a week ago, I had y'all on IG ask all your burning running questions. So we, gone over all of that and it's just a really good episode so I hope you do enjoy it I am when this episode goes live I am going to be on the beach in the Dominican Republic probably like 12 margaritas deep so I don't have any reading recommendations right now do I not really because oh fuck me sideways yes I do y'all okay pen pal it just released what two days ago the 16th or something um y'all need to read that book it's by jay jessinger so it's like a psychological thriller but like a romance smutty psychological thriller if that makes sense i don't fucking know if that made sense but it was so good do you ever read any of the books like do you ever read a book and you're like i cannot figure out what fucking direction this is going and it is giving me the most anxiety in the entire world because that's how i was this entire book it literally i couldn't figure it out usually you know with romance books and stuff like that like you know where it's going you know how it's gonna end this book legit did not figure out where it was going until we were at 95 percent of the book it was like the most anxiety ridden book i have ever read but fuck's sake it was good like i will never look at bunnies and lions the same way again and the smut scenes y'all immaculate fucking immaculate hold on remember every time we hear a cuss word you got to take a chug of your water because a hydrated bitch is a happy bitch sorry had to pull that in there um but y'all it was just uh, it was so good i literally read the entire book in like five hours i kid you not it was that good i ate the motherfucker up so make sure you read that again it's pen pal by jay jessing jt jessinger and i'll put it in the show notes also so make sure you listen to that make sure you read that it was so good but yeah that's really what i got for y'all this week but we're gonna go ahead and skip forward to the interview with caleb all things running inspiration and second chances i hope y'all enjoy Hey, y'all, and welcome. I'm so freaking excited. We have our 
the second ever guest, third ever guest. I don't know. Can't keep up, but I'm really, really excited. This is an episode y'all have been asking for and asking for and asking for, and I am finally delivering because you ask and you all shall receive. Um, This is going to be an episode all about running, but not running from like a novice perspective, like myself who literally just put sneakers on and hit pavement. We have my running coach who is actually training for the Olympic trials right now. So he's fast as shit and a badass and it's insane. But what's more insane is just his story and where he's come from and where he's at now. And it's just remarkable. Like I'm going to have him share his story with y'all. And I just want you guys to listen, because if this is not just an attestment to, you know, reborn and rebirth and how, you know, your circumstances and your past does not define your future or who you can be or anything like that, that, you know, you hold the pen to write your own story that nobody else like, I am always blown away by his story. I'm just always blown away by him. So I'm going to welcome Welcome to the Be That Bitch podcast, where even men can be that bitch. So we're just going to go with it. (laughs) Hey, y'all, it is not, it is a universal term. It's like, I don't know, like Joe. Joe can be a girl and a boy. So we're universally bitching. Um, That made no sense, but you guys know me. I don't usually make much sense. But welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Finally. I know I was on your episode a long time ago, so we finally got around to getting you here. Yeah. What's up, guys? I'm really, really um, honored to be on the podcast. I know that you, Ali, you've done a phenomenal job building your platform, building other women up, building people up in general. Um, Yeah, we have to use the universal term now, not just women, because we got you here. (laughs) People, just human beings. (laughs) <laughs> the way that you've inspired the world and the light that you uh, that you shine each and every day is uh, phenomenal. So I'm very, very um, honored and blessed to be on this on this podcast. So thank I'm you. So I excited it. to have you here. And I know you have such like just a story to tell and where you've come from and the triumphs and the tribulations and the all that. So I would love for you to just like share your heart, share your story with them so they can kind of get okay. a picture of who Kalip is. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it's crazy because when people see my name, it's typically, it's typically butchered. You know, I've heard. Am I butchering it? It, yeah. Well. Oh shit! How we're bad? Gonna, we're going to give you. We're going to give you some grace, Allie. How bad? How bad? It's, oh. it's actually Caleb. What the? Okay, that's bull spit. How can you spell <laughs> your name? The way that you do, exactly. Caleb. Where the hell is the P? I have never heard of a silent P. So it's it's the same. So it was out of the Bible. Crazy story. Whenever my dad was born, because I'm the second, um, he was born here in Cherokee, and evidently the nurse uh, was not very educated, actually. So clearly, I'm not either. My grand my grandma was like, I want to name him Caleb. So she goes and writes on the birth certificate, Caleb. Like K A L L U P. I don't know how in the hell she got that, but it's different. But hey, you know it, it makes me stand out. So so okay. So it's not you don't you. So you pronounce it Caleb. It's like yes. It's like so. Caleb, it's like Caleb, but, but puh. Puh. yes, with a P on the end. Caleb. <laughs> Dude, does other people pronounce it the way that I did, or am I just an? That's F-up the individual? first time I've ever heard it pronounced. Khalid, like that. Khalid. You are unique. 
clip cl- i guess now i people see say, it i don't ever it. now that i see it and you've told me now i don't know how i got to where i got to but in my defense i feel like i've said it before and you've never corrected me so this is on you no you haven't actually you've never said it you've never probably said just it. said it on instagram whenever i was saying i don't know okay well yeah. oh i can't <laughs> Say it with a straight face. Y'all, this is what you get with me. I, I, Which Everly and Riley will probably get their names butchered too because of how I spelt them, but it's fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. So not Caleb, Caleb. Caleb, yep. Share your story with us now that you've shared your name. So y'all, okay. there you go. Well, now everybody that's following, following you and they reach out and they see my name. So now they know how to pronounce it. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, my name is Caleb McCoy II, and I am an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. I grew up here in Cherokee, North Carolina, um, you know, pretty much my entire life. I moved away for a short amount of time, but came right back. So I've been here, you know, for 36 years, okay? Um, running, my story, you know, I think they, they're very much intertwined because a lot of people ask me all the time, like, do you have any other hobbies other than running? And I honestly cannot look them in the eye and, and, you know, name off a whole lot of other things that I do. I mean, right now, you know, chasing this goal of trying to get to the Olympic trials um, has pretty much consumed my life. As with anything that you do, that you're, you're trying to achieve excellence and trying to do something amazing and phenomenal, it's going to consume a lot of your time. So, with that being said, you know, I've never, I wasn't always, um, I kind of got away from running. So I, my running journey started actually whenever I was in seventh grade and I joined the cross country team. I freaking sucked. Like it was terrible. Um, like you one of the first the balls to try out. I never would have, I was a shot putter. I was like, you guys keep running. I ain't going to do that <laughs> shit. I'll throw something. <laughs> the shot putters are like, and the discus throwers are the laziest ones on the team typically, but <laughs> you know what? I would love to see a motherfucker throw something that heavy though and do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, granted. I mean, they have their place too. I mean, they're phenomenal athletes. Okay. You're but phenomenal. we did run. So each season, did we, you do really? one, we do one run. It's called, it's called the fat boy run. And it was not, it's not just boys. It was girls too. So they, cause all of us shot putters were usually bigger. So we all get out there and you see all the big shot putters and, and discus throwers running in circles. And it's the funniest thing you'll ever see. Cause we're all like, because <laughs> <laughs> we don't run. <laughs> I know now look at you, right? You're a marathoner. So we're, so we're trying, we're trying. We thought. <laughs> So, um, yeah, you know, like I said, I joined the, the cross-country team in seventh grade. Um, I was terrible. I wanted to quit. It was, like, one of the worst experiences um, I ever had um, as far as sports goes. You know, I was, like, the second-worst runner on the team out of about – I think we had about 11 runners. So, I mean, I was – you know, I wasn't that good my first year. Um, I remember, like, one of the first practices, I fell down doing hill repeats, just completely ate it up. Um I had, you know, road rash and everything all over me. I was crying. I was, like, ready to walk off and quit. And my coach, you know, he, he just continued to speak, you know, positivity and, and just encourage me and everything. And so I stuck it out, came back my eighth grade year, and won conference championship. I lost one meet the entire year. And so 
I how started far to cross country. Like how far is the distances? So in middle school, it's two miles. And then when, once you get to high school, it's three. That's not five. a very far country. It's not a very big no, country. You're not, you're not crossing a whole lot of country. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, my eighth grade year had a lot of success. I lost the first meet of the year and then I absolutely crushed everybody from that point on. And, you know, I started, I started to think, you know, ask myself, like, well, I wonder how how good I could really get at this. And freshman year ended up uh, fifth in a region in the mile. And during that time, though, I, my, my life started to take a turn. And I started to party a lot, started getting mixed into the drug scene and everything. And, um, you know, I also played football and basketball during my high school years and so sports has always been kind of like a saving grace and a form of salvation in my life where I can heal, where I could be a part of a team, where I could be, you know, challenged and, and find continually find like a better version of myself, you know. And but in the meantime, I had all these demons in my life and trauma and things going on at home. And so I was in I was in this struggle and this inter internal battle. And the way that I was escaping from all that was through substances and um, I remember, you know, just going to parties and, and drinking and just binge drinking. You know how people do sometimes in high school. I mean, you wilding out and things get crazy and everything. Uh, my best friend in high school was a go-go dancer. I was going to bars in Atlanta at 16 years old and getting drunk. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. So she got me in everywhere. <laughs> I was I was also trust, trust and believe. It's probably why I was okay with having a kid at 20 years old. Cause I was like, been there, done that, wrote the book. I don't need to party in college. Might as well just go ahead and have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, see, I mean, you just never know because you, you know, you being around that kind of scene as well. Um, you just never know what, what person's going to take a turn, you know, and start turning to the, to the harder drugs and the, you know, that whole lifestyle and it consumes them. And that was me. And so I started, um, using math before football games when I was a junior in high school. And uh, the moment that I'd done that, you know, I'll, I'd always put up these roadblocks and these guardrails and tell myself, like, as long as I don't do that, like those other people, you know, that being what, whether that was math or Coke, as long as I don't do those things, then I'm good. Mm -hmm. And so each time that I crossed that boundary and I found myself looking at myself in the mirror, you know, and I was like, I'm becoming what I said I would never become. And so a sense of shame and this heaviness and, and everything just came over me. And I, and I would I would literally say to myself, well, I'm already here, so you might as well just keep going. Right. You know I mean, it's just you're too far to turn back now. Just go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, I mean, I, I just didn't know how to. I mean, there's a lot of I had a sense of pride, I guess, in my life. and I didn't know how to ask for help. And that's you know, that's all I needed to do that during that entire period. But I didn't. And so um, my senior year. Uh, I got kicked off the basketball team and um, I lost the opportunity to run track um, here at a local college or play football and at a different college. And so I was, you know, I was getting ready to decide what I wanted to do as far as um, collegiate athlete athletics went, but I got kicked off the basketball team and uh, lost my opportunity to run. And, and I just, uh, I remember leaving basketball practice that day totally defeated, feeling like a failure and thinking like my life is over. <clears throat> and shortly after graduating high school, I had a couple, uh, I had two boys with two different women and I was an absent father. I was a deadbeat. My, my drug, you know, my drug addiction consumed my life. 
And like I said, I had this huge sense of pride and 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 mixed with shame and all these things that, that come along with all that trauma. And I didn't want to ask for help. I know how, how to ask for help. And I just conti- continued diving deeper and deeper into my addiction. And <clears throat> the only one, when, when you cope, uh, the only way that you cope with things is through drugs and substances and food and gambling and sex and all these things, which that was pretty much my life consisted of. Then, yeah, right, whatever, fill in the blank. And that's the only way I knew how to cope. And so I remember getting a call when I was 23 years old, wasn't employed, couldn't hold down a job. I was addicted to pills. I was taking opiates each and every day. And you weren't I, running or doing any kind of fitness stuff at this no, point. No, after You're after. Just- and I got into MMA for a couple years, done that, got my arm broke and got put on pain pills. And that just continued, you know, just perpetuate, perpetuated the cycle and everything. And so, um, you know, I find myself living uh, in, in, a, in a trailer that my mom had given me. Um, you know, like I said, no job, no, no future, no purpose, nothing. And my dad is diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I remember the girl that I was dating at the time. Um, you know, like I said, we were doing pills together and everything. And she brought home a bag of rigs, a bag of needles. And I always told myself, as long as I'm snorting my pills, you know, then and not like those all those other people, then I'll be good. But getting the news that my dad was going, he had six months to live. You know, I was completely broken and, and even more defeated. And so that needle looked like a good idea at that point in time. You know, it's the devil in disguise. And so. Uh, I remember being in the bathroom, 23 years old, my five-year-old son's knocking on the bathroom door because I'd been in there for so long, just staring at the needle. You know, I've got the pill pulled back in the plunger. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is going on? How did I get here? You know, and my son's knocking on the door and he's like, dad, dad. And I, I have so many, you know, so many encounters where I felt like God was trying to reach out to me and, you know, trying to reach out to me through my son in that point in time to put down that needle and just walk out, you know, and tell somebody what the hell was going on in my life. But I didn't, I didn't know how to do that. And I was too prideful. And so I laid down a a towel at the bathroom door and I told my son, I'll be out in a minute. And I ran that, I I hit, you know, hit it and got high. And I remember the, the game changed at that point. Like, you know, once you start shooting up, I mean, there's really nothing, no lower that you can go. You know, and so that's what my life consisted of for the next three years. Like I said, the doctors gave my dad three, uh, six months to live. He held on for three years. Um, I ended up moving to, into the house with him, which was a terrible idea. Um, you know, hindsight being 2020, he was getting pain pills. I'm addicted to them. I'm breaking into his bedroom, stealing his checks, stealing his pain medications, you know, and this is the man that I'm named after. Right. And this is my hero. And, just uh, everything to me, my best friend, and yet I'm destroying him and, and taking him out and and just continuing to take days off his life because of the stress, the things I was putting him through. The addiction um, was ruling you. You weren't controlling it. Yeah, exactly. And it was, you know, and it's a family disease, you know, and, and it destroys the, the whole family unit. And so, you know, my mom and dad were separated. They had divorced uh, when I graduated high school and everything. And so my mom was living in a separate house and I'm staying here with the girl that I was with at the time um, at my dad's. And so it got to the point, though, Allie, that I had to be moved out of the house or my dad had to be moved out of the house 
my mom moved him in with her because of all these things that I, were, I was doing. And, you know, it was, I remember just one time um, the bank called my dad and I had been writing a bunch of checks and cashing them right out of his bank account. And so they noticed I was coming in every other day, you know, writing all these checks and everything. And they called just to make sure that's what was up. He was writing them. And so I remember him being on the phone with them and everything. And this is just a, an example and a picture of, of true love, you know, and, and compassion and everything. And my dad calls me downstairs after he hangs up the phone with the bank. And he was like, looks at me and he said, where did I go wrong with you at? You know, what, what was it that I'd done for you to be the man that you are right now? And, and I remember, you know, I was, I was like, I'm gonna go ahead and get my stuff and leave. He's like, I don't want you to leave. He's like, I love you. I want you to get better. And, you know, it's, that should have broken me to the point of change, right? And I was so numb from all the things that, that I had going on in my life, the drugs, sex, the party, rock and roll, all that stuff, the whole lifestyle, you know? And, and I just didn't, I didn't have the ears to hear. And so I continued to, I continued to do the things that I was doing, you know? And, and um, a couple of days before my dad passed away, uh, he called me into his uh, into his room and he looks at me. And, and here again is another picture of God, like trying to to reach out to me in that moment in time. But my dad looked at me and, and says, uh, Caleb, I'm not I'm not worried about you. He's like, you're going to come out of this and you're going to do some great things for our family, for our community and for the world. And Ali, meanwhile, I, I kid you not, I'm standing there at the side of my dad's bed, you know, looking at, at, at this, you know, he's a shell, the man he once was, he's 130 pounds, cancer's eating him alive. And I'm looking at him and, and I'm thinking like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I'm a junkie. This is all I'm ever going to be. You know, like I deserve to die. And that was my mindset. Like I, I didn't deserve to have the breath that was in my lungs. I was so angry and disappointed in myself and I'm looking at my dad and I've got sweat beads just dripping down my face and all I can think about is calling my drug dealer thing you know trying to get for the next high because I'm withdrawing and I'm like he's lost his mind he don't know what he's talking about and so a couple days after my dad asked me that or told me that spoke that into my life I'm in the bathroom that's connected to his hospice room and I can hear his heart rate monitor beeping beeping and there again, I, 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 I'm in the bathroom like a few years earlier with my son's beating on the door and I could hear my dad's heart rate monitor beeping and I got a needle in my arm and I literally hear my dad's heart rate monitor flatline and I've got a needle arm shooting up in the bathroom. I come out, wipe my arm off, go over to his hospice bed, kiss him on the forehead, shed a tear, walk out of the hospital and I call my dope dealer. I'm like, hey, where you at? My dad just died. And right back to it, right back to it, doing what I, the only thing that I knew how to do at the time. And so, you know, and I always compare it to this, you know, anytime that you've ever been swimming and somebody pulls you underwater, the only thing that you can think about is fighting, kicking, screaming. You're going to do whatever you can do to get away and come up and get that air. And that's what it felt like being in this addiction and that air was the, the drugs. Right. And I was so, you know, chemically dependent and physically dependent that the withdrawals always scared me to death. And so that's what it felt like. I was drowning. I was drowning. The only escape that I could ever have was continuing to put the substance in my body. 
I think a lot of people have that same perspective though, but maybe it's not with hard drugs, but with like food themselves, you know, like they, they feel like that's the only way they can escape all the hell that is their life or all the pressures or all the emotions and all that. So they turn to food, right? It's the ice cream. It's the fast food. It's the, you know, I'm just looking for something to numb out for me. It was whenever I was dealing with all my postpartum depression, it was alcohol, right? Like I was just, I wanted to numb out. So I would drink a bottle of wine and just not want to think, I think so many people can relate to that, even if it's not to the extent that yours is, but just the, just the, you know what I need? It's not the thing. It's the thing. I need something to take me out of this place that I'm in right exactly. now. Exactly. What, what, what is that thing? And that, that's the question right now, as people are listening, you know, maybe, maybe you can look at yourself in the mirror today. And what is that thing that you're using to escape? Right. And, and becoming self-aware is only half the battle, but then the action that follows that is where, is where the change happens. And so what was that turning point for you, you know, I'm, I, a couple, you know, a couple years after my dad passed away, I remember, um, I remember overdosing six times in a matter of months. And yeah, I've got God's fingerprints all over this story and everything. And I remember November 2015, I overdosed at my house, like right outside, you know, the view of the camera here. I'm laying in the floor. Um, I, I'm dead. I'm, you know, no heartbeat. Lips are blue, eyes eyes are blue, ears are blue. I, I'm not breathing for a couple of minutes. And um, so the girl that I was with at the time put me in the bathtub, fell in cold water on me. I started to come back. And then uh, the ambulance shows up again. You know, I, I, I lose a heartbeat. You know, I'm, I'm passed away. And they come in and start Narcanning me and give me one Narcan kit, call the ER doctor. And they're like, he's not breathing. We don't have a pulse. And, uh, AR doctor tells the EMT, like, if you have another Narcan kit, give him what you got and keep working on him. So thank God that this woman did. Right. Come to run everybody off, really bad, pissed off, you know, like it's everybody else's fault. Get everybody out of my house and uh, have warrants and everything. I'm on the run all the time. And uh, in 2017, March of 2017, I got arrested. And so I'm sitting down in, in one of the local jails here in Swain County, North Carolina, and, and I'm three weeks into my jail stint and I'm looking around and, and for the first time in my life, I start to pray. And, and I, you know, I, I was never raised in church or anything like that, but I just start to pray. And, I, and I've got a letter here, you know, I'm, I'm cussing every other word, GD this, GD that. Just, I mean, that's that was my life at the time. And, and you can see in the letter. I, I write out, I'm like, God, if you're real, show me something. Show me that my dad is still with me somehow. And so I lay the pen down and I walk upstairs to grab something. I come back down the steps and a pastor comes in and he came in every Wednesday for years. And this this particular Friday was the only time he changed his schedule. And he comes into that pod that I was in, walks in on a Friday and he, when he comes into the door, his whole demeanor, the way he was dressed, it was very similar, similar to my dad. And so literally after writing this out on a piece of paper, within a minute, this guy comes walking in. And it stops me dead in my tracks because I remember what I had just wrote down. And then I see this man standing there and he's got the same kind of shoes, pants, belt, his, his shirt's tucked in the same way, um, his mustache, his eye color just his whole demeanor. He walks up to me and I remember him shaking my hand the same exact way my dad used to shake my hand. 
my dad would always place his left hand over mine and wink at me if I hadn't, he hadn't seen me in a day or two. And he'd be like, I love you, son. And so this pastor walks in and he was, does the same thing my dad used to do. And he was like, I love you, son. I'm here to share the gospel with you. And so I was, I, the, I was broken. I was crying. Um, I realized that God had just answered my prayer through this man and through this message of, of love and compassion and, and realizing that everything that I was carrying in my entire life, I didn't have to carry. And it wasn't mine to carry in the first place. And so in that jail cell, I, but that's, I experienced the most exhilarating feeling of freedom I've ever had, even since being released. Like that was it. I was, it was like a clean slate, Allie. It was so, it was phenomenal. Like I, like things have changed. I can feel it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I knew that I had a, I had a new lease on life. Isn't it crazy though? Sometimes we think that the thing that will be the driving factor for change isn't like your father passing away or him getting diagnosed with cancer or anything like that. Like those big, those were big traumatic events that could have given you this same like realization, like shit yeah. change, but it was this like random act that if you weren't looking for it, if you weren't even paying attention, you wouldn't even have noticed it that was the driving force. Like a lot of people think it's like this one thing that's going to change, right? Like the, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for the right program. I'm going to start doing the right exercises. I'm going to start eating the right food. I'm going to, you know, my kids are going to, you know, my husband's going to divorce me, or there's going to be this big event that changes my life, but it could be just this random act of occurrence. That is the one driving factor that starts the ripple effect. I love it. You know, and, that, and I knew right then, you know, I, was, I started having a different mindset. And one thing that I always try to really drive home for people is bloom where you're planted. And so I'm sitting in a jail cell and I start writing out some goals, some basic goals. And, you know, I, I had this sense of entitlement throughout my whole life, you know, and my mom would just wait on me hand and foot growing up and everything. And so I didn't have, I didn't know what responsibility meant. I didn't know what discipline meant. I didn't know, you know, uh, how to be self-motivated, right? And, and advocate for myself a lot. And so while I was in jail, I learned a lot of those things. I learned to get up and make my bed at 5, 5 6 o'clock in the morning. I started working out. Um, I started fasting um, taking care of myself while I was in jail. And so how long were you in jail for this time? Six months. Six months. So yeah, I done six months and I had a, I had a piece, you know, and I was thinking like, I kept my date, my court date kept getting pushed back at each time. You know, most people would be pissed off. Like they're ready to get out, get back, hit the streets. And I was like, I'm cool. Like God has me here for a reason. You know, whenever, whenever it's my time to get released, I'll get released. So and, did and you it's still, use this and, as almost like your rehab or did you also do rehab? I didn't know this was, this is, yeah, this is definitely my rehab, you know? And so, um, I'm working out five days a week and that's when this journey started, you know, doing jailhouse workouts, dips, pushups, rows on the bunks, you know, I mean, all that stuff that you do in jail. And so, um, I get out of jail and I sign up for a half Ironman. Mind you, the only run that I had been doing, uh, besides in high school was running from the police when I had warrants. Like that was, that was the only type of running. You know, you know, I did that same kind of running, but it wasn't from the police. It was to like a margarita truck or something. Like I always <laughs> said, if I'm running, your ass better be running too, because some motherfuckers chasing us right now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you actually had people chasing you. 
And, you know, it was funny because we used to make jokes about it in jail. My, the reason my bond was $180,000 is because I got in a high-speed chase, got away from the cops, hit, hit, hit the ground on foot, ran, got away from them on foot. And so they were pissed off. And so when they caught me, they set my bond so high to make an example. And so, you know, they used to always joke about, like, chase, trying to chase me down and everything. And so, um, you know, we, we joke about when I was locked up and everything. Like, damn, Caleb, you're pretty good at running, man. Why don't you try to keep right up when you get out of here? And so they kind of planted a seed. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll try that out. And so uh, six weeks out of jail, you know, um, I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I get out. I ran literally in training for the half Ironman, which is a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike ride and a, and a half marathon. I had ran literally a half a mile in training for that race. <laughs> that was it. Like coming straight out of jail. I thought this was a good idea. To, it, it was a, it was like one of the coolest, but like most one of the worst ideas ever because I didn't know how to swim really. Right. Like, <laughs> I get out. I get out there. It's an open water ocean swim, and I backstroke. I, I I'm in the first heat, the first wave of athletes, right? Ali, I finished second to last <laughs> in the swim. Like everybody was kicking me in the face and swimming over top of me, and I'm in the middle of the ocean, freaking out. Like, what in the hell did I just get myself into? You know, and that's one of the things like that I always try to t talk to my athletes and clients about, like just sign up for the damn race. Mm -hmm. Give yourself an opportunity to go out there and prove to yourself that you're capable of doing those hard things. Like, and so what, you know, you don't hit the goal, but you learn a lot of lessons. You learn a lot about yourself while you're out there in the doing, in the action. And so I finished the race. I got it done. And uh, I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with just competing. Do you feel like, getting out of jail, you were, you kind of like switched the addiction from that to this. Like, do you feel like it was almost a transfer of power? So it's like, this is what's going to help keep me clean. If I just put all of my effort, all of my power, like all of my thought process into fitness and into running and stuff like that, it's almost like giving you that thing to control. Does that make sense? Like for me, yeah, that's, yeah, no, it happens. that's for me. Like I switched like my addiction to food and my addiction to like you know, any emotional eating and then all that stuff, I transferred all of that into running. So like anytime I feel that urge to like emotionally eat, anytime I feel like life is throwing me all kinds of fucking curveballs and everything, I like put my sneakers on and I go hit the pavement. Like it's, it's my drug of choice. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you feel like maybe like that helped in aiding the addiction you had this healthy outlet that you were doing or do you feel like it wasn't really that way you just kind of like i'm done with it i think it's a couple of things I, I definitely agree with what you're saying and i also think um so i i was listening to a conversation with um an olympic champion he's from the uh oglala sioux reservation um out in pine ridge south dakota and he talks about uh, his name's Billy Mills. If anybody wants to look him up, it's a great, got a lot of wisdom. But he said, Dreams heal broken souls. And so I started to have this dream of wanting to do something amazing. Not only at first, it was very self serving and selfish, and I wanted to do this for me. But now that I have people reaching out to me, and especially younger people, like I want my ceiling to be their floor. Like we've never had 
a really we've never had an outstanding marathon. We've never had an Olympian. We've never had somebody that was that hopeful for our community. And so that's that's what yeah, that's what I want to do. Like I may I may not get there. I want to give it my I want to give it my everything that I have. I'm giving my all, right? All gas, all, I'm all in. Let's do this. And if I don't get there, I hope somebody coming behind me says, you know what? What he done, I can take that further. You know, and I want to be that first guy getting to the Olympic trials or make being the Olympian, you know? And so I started having these, I wanted to just go out and, and, you know, really challenge myself. And it wasn't even competitive running at first. It was just getting out there. Shortly after I'd done the half Ironman, I got, in, got into my first marathon. I ran a five-hour, 25-minute marathon. You know, and it was, it was it's faster than mine. <laughs> it was, I suffered though, you know, and there's, and that's, there's a difference between running and trying to finish a marathon and racing a marathon, two totally different animals. One, you're just trying, you know, you're, you're just, you're just hanging. trying to get to that finish line and not get yeah. a DMF. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That and, was and me. The, you know, the whole, and it really takes away from the experience because when you, you really have a great time whenever you've really trained and pre prepared for that race. And so getting out of the, uh, doing a half iron man, I started getting into ultra running, you know, I've done that, done the marathon, got into ultra running, <clears throat> completed a hundred mile race, several 50 mile races. Um, I, well, let me back up for a second because there's a really significant uh, part of my story that I left out. Um, in 2018, nine months after, uh, getting out of jail, um, our, our tribe does a uh, bike ride called remember the removal bike ride. And so we trace the northern route of the Trail of Tears. They leave from New Echo to Georgia, take the northern route, and they go all the way to Tahlequah, Oklahoma. <clears throat> I want to sign up for this bike ride. My The rules in place say, state that you, if you have a felony conviction on your record, you can't be a part of the bike ride. So I go to our tribal council, our leadership, uh, chief, everybody, and I'm like, I think we should change this rule. And they're like, well, we can't change it, you know. Um, so I was like, I was standing in front of council, my leadership, everything, like the whole tribe, basically. And I was like, before I even, I mean, thought about what I said, I said, I was like, you're not going to let me ride the bike, I'll run it. And they were like, everybody looks at me and laughs, you know, like, yeah, okay. And so I started training and I ran 800 miles in 2018 from Cherokee, North Carolina to Tahlequah, Oklahoma, retracing the Bend Route of the Trail of Tears. And so wait, wait, you can't just like skate over that. Like you didn't just say what you think you said. Like, wait, so you were like, all right, mother effers, you're not going to let me ride that bike. It says <clears throat> nowhere that a convicted felon can't run it. So if you're not going to let me get on two wheels, I'll be on two feet. And you ran 800 miles. 800 miles. Yeah. And, and I how just, much, what was the, what was the span? Because 40, 40 days. About, how many? 40 days, 40 days, 800 miles on. Yeah. So did you like camp on side of the road and stuff? We, we camped a couple of times. We stayed in motels. We had people put us up. Okay. But okay. So the bikers, so <laughs> I'm trying we to legitimately think about this because so you you're running, there's bikes right here. So do they finish like way before you? And then you're just coming in here like, I, I finally made it here. I'm back. <laughs> So I actually left two weeks before the bikers. Okay. So you could finish with them, but you had to start by yourself. We did, we, no, we, they, they actually finished um, a few days, like a week before me. So we actually made They've changed Missouri. the rule. Please tell me they've changed the rule. They have it. 
damn it. I thought this was going to be a victory for everything. (laughs) I was hoping for that happy ending right there. I did meet with the leadership that set up the rule. And I, and we started a conversation last year about changing the rule. So that, that has not been done. It's in, you know, it's been talked about, but it's not been done yet, but you know, just through that journey, um, you know, coming out of jail, that was, I started that run May 14th, 2018. I got out of jail, August 28th, 2017. So not a lot of time in between, in between my, my addiction jail stint and getting out and running this, but it was through that journey that I really got a fortified faith and really understood what it meant to be resilient, what it meant to be Cherokee. Um, Just, you know, seeing people um, with the same similar struggles as me, drug addiction, you know, I lost my aunt while I was on that journey to uh, endocarditis and affection of the heart from shooting up, you know, and that's, that was a whole nother reason I was running to share my story, to talk about, uh, recovery and things like that. And so was there ever any moments of just like, you didn't know if you were going to able to like, like, you know, any second guessing, like, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able maybe people in your life that maybe challenged you that didn't know if you were, did you ever have those moments of like doubt or weakness within these moments of this recovery? Oh yeah. I still have, them. <laughs> I still have them um oh trust me i get it sometimes after my kids go to bed i still want to sit there with an entire bottle of wine and down it (laughs) (laughs) no yeah i mean it's still a struggle you know it's not it's not an everyday struggle you know you learn how to cope and you learn how to uh you know handle life on life's terms and everything and and slow things down like they say one day at a time and so i'm sure um, it helps also that you've got an amazing wife that is there with every single step of the way i mean y'all have both have that story that is just what dreams are made of and showing yeah. the resilience she uh she actually ran most uh, half half of the trail tears with me you know and so we got to that's when so did we y'all got, go, how long have y'all been married have y'all got did you guys go through this entire journey together no she has a so, similar um, story in 2000 when i overdosed in 2015 right and the EMT started working on me. And like I said, you know, God's fingerprints, you know, just all over my life. I go up for the first date that Caitlin and I, my wife and I are going out on. And I go to pick her up at her house. And I'm telling her mom about this story about me overdosing. And her mom starts crying. And she was like, do you know who saved your life? And I was like, no. She said, I saved your life. So three years before Caitlin and I even got together, before we were a thing at all, her mom is the one that Narcan me and brought me back. And now that's my wife. Oh my God. I have goosebumps. So that is insane. I get goosebumps every time I say that. It, it is insane. She's the one that fought and worked because the rest of the, the rest of the people were, had already given up and she kept working on me. And now, now here, here I am married to her daughter and, you know, we got married in uh, 2019, April 2019, um, you know, through that journey, running the Trail of Tears together, going out on trips, uh, scheduling all these run, you know, run vacations and everything like we've got to experience because for so long, Allie, we could not leave Cherokee because we our addiction was so crippling that we would withdraw, get sick. That kept us from traveling, doing anything that a lot of, you know, normal people do. Like, I mean, whatever normal is, but, you know. 
<laughs> um, I still normal's a relative term. <laughs> it is uh, people who travel and do things we didn't get to do, right? So um, you know, it's been that that kind of is what jump started our whole journey of you know doing these these crazy events and races and everything, and so. I love it. And, you know, one thing you said that really stuck with me, it's like where you had the mindset of when you were in the midst of it, like you were like, I'm already here. I might as well stay here and keep doing because I feel like a lot of people have that mindset when it comes to just their life in general. Like I know I did whenever I was very unhealthy, very overweight, like I was surviving, you know, I wasn't like living, I wasn't yeah. driving, I was surviving. And I was like, well, this is all I've known. And I'm like already here. It's almost that comfort of the known, like well, I know what this is like, even if it sucks, even if my life feels like whatever, really hard, even if I don't love it, I know what this is. And I know I do these actions. I get this reaction. It's this comfort area. I don't know what happens if I actually try to go for something change, right? Like I actually start that nutrition plan. I actually start that workout. I actually start to try to run. I actually start to try to get sober. I actually start to try to get off those drugs. I don't know what that looks like. And it's almost that unknown that cripples us, that keeps us like, scared in the same place like we'd rather stay in the known even if we know it's going to turn out badly whether we want to try it and you know we might fail we might fall on our ass or we might succeed but the fact that we're going after it and we might not succeed almost scares more people to not go after those things to not make that change you know what i Absolutely, mean Absolutely, yeah the chaos and the unhealthy habits and every lifestyles that we all have is comfortable when that's always been your normal you know, and it's like I've seen you post about it, too, about choosing your hard. You know, everything that I was experienced was hard. But stepping out of that box, you know, and out of that comfort zone, that was hard. But look what it's led to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have such a so, story. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and like I said, you know, got into ultra running and everything. And so um, in 2020, late 2020. I started thinking to myself, you know, we've never had um, from my tribe, I don't, from any of the three Cherokee tribes, we've never had to make it to the Olympic trials in the marathon. And so I love distance running. You know, I love getting out there and it, it's it's my medicine. It really is. That's that's my go-to. Now, like you said, you lace up your shoes, you get out the door. That's what I do. You know, when I'm having a bad day, um, I get out the door, you know, and, and just the uh, the striking of my feet. It's just it's so healing to me and being connected with God's creation and just, oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And um, anybody, pretty much anybody can do it, you know, and I think it's uh, it's very accessible for anybody to do. And so anyways, I started getting into wanting to race faster and I started having a little bit of success. Um you know, winning uh, or not winning, started getting in top tens and started to ask myself, well, what, what, how far could I take this thing? And ended up uh, announcing that I was going to chase this goal, you know, just for that accountability and everything. And so it's, it's done just that. It's held me accountable. I've been working my butt off since January of 2021, I think. And, um, you know, just ran a two hour, 49 minute marathon a couple months ago. Uh, the Olympic trials, you know, I mean, you got to get down to 218. So I don't know, you know, I don't have a whole lot of, whole lot of time. Time is not on my side, 36 years old. Um, but, you know, we're going to give it hell and give it You're all. You're only as old as you feel. Isn't that what they say? 
<laughs> that's what they say. And here's the thing. I don't have a lot of miles on these legs. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, you had a lot of rest on those legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and get to some of these questions. So I pulled y'all. Yeah, y'all buying Instagram um, on what kind of questions you wanted answered by him. Now, if I was a uh, professional podcast host, I would organize these questions and make this flow <laughs> very seamlessly. I am not that person. Literally copy and pasted them from Instagram to here. So it could be a mass chaos, but you know, it wouldn't be me if it was not mass chaos. So I'm just going to start asking the questions and we can give quick little answers and then we're going to end it after this with how you can perhaps work with him or connect with him. He has a podcast also. So make sure you stay around for that. So without further ado, let's get to the question. So the first one is I am training for a 5k and overall, I want to work on increasing my endurance to be able to handle more miles after about three or four miles. I seem to wear out. What would be my best approach? Well, you know, I've got I've got these questions wrote down too, so I'm going to follow along with you here, Allie. But so you're already running. The, whoever's asked this question, you're already running three or four miles at a time, which already puts you over the distance for your race. So my question to this would be, what is your goal, mm -hmm. right? What what is it that you want to accomplish? Because running a 5K, typically, you know, you're 30, 40 minutes, um, and that requires a lot less volume and speed than running 20 to 25 minutes. So if you want to get faster, then you need to start applying some speed work and everything. Don't worry about going out and trying to run 8, 10, 12 miles just to train for a 5K, mm -hmm. right? You just need to, to apply the, the stress to your body so that you're giving yourself the proper time for your body to, to adapt and everything. And so the way that you do that is like Ali and I have been doing, we've been doing fartlek workouts. We've been doing some heel training. We've been doing some critical velocity training. They about took her out yesterday. You He's know? trying to kill me. <laughs> if there's not an episode on a specific Wednesday, it's because I've killed over because of his workouts. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, y'all, I'm not even You're kidding. I'm on the it. treadmill. I finished my first 800 meters at 830 pace. I'm about to kill over. And all I can think is to text him one, tell him I hate his guts, but I chose not to do that route. But to tell him also, I think you've lost some brain marbles up here because if you think I can do this, you're fucking insane. I opted for the, my legs don't work this fast. <laughs> I know, whenever you text me that, I was thinking, oh God, I should have put her at about 845. But I knew we were somewhere in the neighborhood. So that was good. But, you know, it's like my, it's like my, my coach tells me, you know, this distance running is a turkey baking sport. You know, but we live in a, in a microwave instant gratification world. So what I would say to this person would be, be patient, run easy on your easy days, you and know, pick a know couple. Easy running is he has a reel that he just posted. That was really, really good at teaching what easy running is. So make sure you look in the show notes for his Instagram and go check it out. Yeah. Um, all right. So run easy and add exactly. in speed. And, oh, another thing. Oh, we're trailing behind, aren't we? Yeah, we were for a second there. Go, go. Okay. Okay. A 10% rule is another good guide to use. So if you're doing six miles a week, you know, only increase about 10% each week or each or every other week. That's another good rule to go by as well. Awesome. 
All right. Breathing techniques for beginners. So a lot of my followers that are learning to run, they're like, I get 30 seconds into a run and I can't breathe. Like I'm hyperventilating. I can't breathe. So what would be some good breathing techniques? I've been there, done that. When I was running to a mailbox from another mailbox, I was literally about to die. I, I totally get this. So how do you teach like breathing techniques or do you have any kind of like pointers for there? Well, um, first I would first say slow down. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you're probably running too fast, you know? Um, and another thing too, that I, that I try to talk to people about is breathing through your nose. So that's going to hold you accountable. That's going to make sure that you are running slow. So if you do just nice, easy running, breathing through your nose, you know that you're going the right pace and effort. Another thing too, that, that I do also is breathing in your, once you get the hang of this, right, and you start doing this more, picking up on things, and you're building fitness and building your aerobic base, then you, what I do, I was doing it this morning, running easy. I was taking a breath in every four steps and breathing out every four steps. So it's a pretty deep breath, right? I mean, and just breathe nice and easy. I mean, you know, and, and just count your steps. Two steps in, maybe, two steps breathing out. That's another easy way to do it. Awesome. So are you saying breathing through your nose? So like, and then out through your mouth or yes, all you're breathing through your nose? Cause I breathe, breathe in through my nose, out through my mouth. And I'm like, am I doing it wrong this whole time? Which breathe I, through your, out through your mouth for sure. I wouldn't, I y'all I'm telling you, I literally just started. Like I had zero idea about any of this stuff. I didn't know what easy running is. I didn't even know there was different like techniques to running. All I knew was sneakers and like hitting pavement. And I just had to kind of learn along the way. So y'all already know more than I did when I started sister. So there ain't no excuse, no excuse at all. Okay. Top five tips for beginner runners. Take the first step, you know, um, Sign up for a race. Sign up for a race. Do a time trial. Get out there. See where you're at because we can't. You can't see where you're going. We don't see first where you've been, right? And so we gotta we gotta develop and see where your fitness is at. That way you can get the pr proper training paces. And I mean, think I think that's really important. Another thing too is using the run walk method. You know, it, it might be thirty seconds. Like I said, my first half Ironman, I couldn't run a half a mile. I couldn't. I mean, I was dying. But if I'd have taken, you know, in the, in, taken that into bite-sized pieces, you know, and just doing 30 seconds on, 30 seconds walk. You know, 30-second jog, 30-second walk. And then you do that for a couple, three days a week. And then the next next week you go up to a minute jog. Mm -hmm. You know, and you just slowly build that over over a month, I would say. Give yourself a month of doing that type of training where you're going – Work your work to rest ratio is going to be one to one. Mm -hmm. A lot of people look down on themselves when they have to walk. And I'm like, everybody has to start walking. Even like I have to start, even <laughs> I have to walk when my heart rate's be getting up there. I'm like, oh, hold the horses. We need to take a walk because my heart rate is too high right now. Like there, you are no less of a runner. If you have there. to walk, I'm sure our friend Caleb over here has to walk sometimes too. And if you don't <laughs> lie, lie to me and say you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. So before I jumped on the podcast today, when I knocked out my long grind, I walked twice. 30 seconds of walking. I was just, you know, I was just chilling out. Like I had to catch my breath. My body's pretty beat up from all the training. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, you know, listening to my body. Ain't no shame in it. 
And I he don't... also ran like 18 fucking miles. So y'all don't like, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, he had to walk two thirty seconds in 18 miles. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are so unphysically fit. Just kidding. <laughs> There's no shame in walking, no matter what. Um, the third thing I would say is make it fun. If it's not something that you enjoy most days, it's not going to, it's not going to be something that you keep doing. So don't look at running as a chore. Like I, like I was saying a few minutes ago, it's medicine for me. It's time for you to disconnect. It's time for you to, you know, just rejuvenate and, you know, reduce some stress and anxiety and stuff. So make it fun. Like I said, it's been a goal. I would just come back to that, re- reiterate that point. Most people have no direction. And you know, I think that, that's why it leads to staleness and training. And then you just kind of it peters off, you know, and you, you stop doing it. So have a goal in mind. Have something on the calendar that you can train for. I would definitely, um, you know, recommend doing that. And then incorporate strength training. Of course, like that's going to help you to with, with injury prevention, your overall ability as a runner. You know, you can do a couple times a week, you know, um, two to three times a week, unless you're alley, then you're a beast and you're doing seven days a week. So I only lift four days and then I run <laughs> the rest, but I do. I love strength training though. And y'all, I'm telling you that is a lot of people ask, like, how do you like your legs look so strong? And I'm like, it's strength. It's the combination of strength training and running. Like I'm telling you, I have never gotten, no- that's me knocking on wood right now. I have never gotten injured, but I, and I think it's because I am so consistent and diligent with my strength training. Absolutely. Also it's because I very cautiously increase my, like increase my mileage and speed and stuff like that. That's where I find a lot of people get injured is they're just running or they're taking on too much than what they can chew. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like you said though, you're, you're handling a pretty uh, heavy load of, uh, volume right now you know and we're going to increase that but you you can do that because you have that base of strength though mm-hmm. so all right um how do you get used to running so this person runs one minute and then can't go any further so is it just like consistency how how would they get used to running and be able to start running more than a minute absolutely you know like you just said it's consistency being patient building your aerobic base takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time to build your aerobic base. It doesn't happen overnight, you know, and if, if you're running uh, at one minute and you're going into oxygen debt, oxygen debt and you're, you're, you know, sucking, sucking for wind, then you're overstressing the body. You know, you need to slow it down just a little bit. Let's make that lit. Let's make that minute less intense, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, just keep showing up, you know, just keep getting out the door. That's it. There's no magic there. The consistency, that's the magic. Y'all, I'm telling you, my mile, and there's motherfuckers that are walking faster than I ran my first mile. My <laughs> back, back when I started running, my mile was a 17 minute mile. There's people that walk faster than that. I promise you, Grandpa was literally walking circles around me whenever I was running. So, like, we all start somewhere, and I think that's the thing is a lot of us get discouraged because we see others faster than us, or we see, you know, other people getting to run further or longer, whatever the case may be. We've got to remind ourselves that everybody starts somewhere, and some just start further ahead than others, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to eventually get there, but nobody gets there if they quit. That's right. Come on. Um, how would, how would you give maybe some tips on preparing for a race? So they're getting ready for like, they're about to do a 5k or a 10k or a half marathon. What would your preparation, maybe a couple tips be? 
Well, just like you said, you know, it, it depends on the race first and foremost. So um, just understanding the parameters and the stress that it's going to take to complete, like you said, 5K is totally different than doing a marathon. So you can pretty much look up any couch to 5K program and do that within four to eight weeks and do fine in a race, you know, but if you want to be competitive, um, that's a totally different ball game. Uh, running a 5K, 10K, half marathon, um, you know, you're going to have to give yourself adequate a time, a- adequate amount of time to build your aerobic base because every one of those distances are exclusively aerobic, you know, in nature. So what that means is you're probably going to be running anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of your max heart rate. And that like I mean, I want to say it again. I'm probably going to say it two or three more times before this podcast is over. Like it takes a lot of time to build that thing. And so whenever I first started 2018, my, my first uh, half marathon was at like a 12 minute pace, you know, fast forward to now uh, I'm running at a, I don't know, 545 pace, but my legs can't even move at an eight and a half. And this motherfucker's running at a 540. That, that is five years of thousands and thousands and thousands. You know, when you hope. say this, I can instantly see the picture of like, um, run forest run when his legs are going really really fast that's what i imagine you looking like when you're running that pace <laughs> you know that gif whenever somebody's like i'm coming and then yeah, his legs yeah. are running really really fast that's road. what i feel like that's what i feel like you look like whenever you're running that fast <laughs> <laughs> that's the instant picture i see in my head <laughs> I, I mean, I... <laughs> um but yeah, you know, if you're planning on doing anything from a half marathon to a marathon, I would suggest that, you know, you have a couple things in place. First of all, you got to give yourself an adequate amount of time to build up to that race. You don't want to peak too early. You want to give yourself at least anywhere from 12 to 20 weeks doing that. And if you you've got to build that, you got to build that aerobic base. You got to already be doing easy mileage. You've already got to be building up a little bit of volume. Um, if you're doing if you're doing a half marathon, um, and you sign, you want to do a, a, a half marathon within 12 weeks, you should be already be running five, six miles for your eight, for your long runs. That way you have plenty of time to scale that thing out and hit 12, 13, 14 miles in your long runs right before race day marathon. You should already be hitting around 10 miles on your eight, on your long runs. So that way you can get all the way up to 20 miles without rushing this thing. And making sure that you're getting to the starting line, which is the number one goal, getting to the starting line healthy and ready to go. And you got to give yourself an adequate amount of time to do those things. So that's what I would say um, preparing for a race. The 5K, 10K is pretty, you know, low risk getting out there. Your body can typically handle that if you've got some sort of base training and volume built up. Awesome. What is your favorite season to run in? So like if you had to choose a single season, this person wants to know what's your favorite. I feel like ours are different because we're in the South. Well, you're a little more Northern than me. Like my favorite season to run in is winter. I will run winter all day, every day, but we don't get snow and ice here. So like, it just gets a little chilly, but summer fucking blows. (laughs) I would say, um, I would say late spring, early summer. Absolutely. That's my favorite time. That's my favorite time to run, but that's not the optimal time to run, right? I mean, because that's that's going to be like you said. That's optimal. The fifties. We thrive in the (laughs) fifties. 
we thrive in the 50s yes absolutely 55 60 degrees once you get start getting over that then your performance suffers but yeah i I just i love that season though late spring early summer things are blooming i don't have allergies i love getting out there and running during that time of year for sure y'all not get pollen gosh i'm over here dying with the pollen we do but i'm other than must be nice what's it like being god's favorite Um, okay. So tips for starting a plan. So if they can't, you know, sign up with you or afford a running coach right now, maybe they're just starting out. How would you like suggest they start a plan or would you give them like a direction as to where they could find a resource to start a plan? Um, I would say pick a race that's appealing to you, something that's going to be fun. Set a goal for that race. Um, I'll, you know, people all the time, they're like, I just want to finish. Let's, you know, we, we can do a little bit more than that. You know, let's, let's try to set an audacious goal. Let's set something that's really going to challenge us. Um, you know, make sure you give yourself adequate amount of time to train, prepare for that race. So you're not risking injury. Um, like I said, you know, you're getting a starting point. If you've not had a recent race time, get out and do a time trial, run a 5k on a treadmill, go outside on your favorite running route, do some sort of time trial so you can get some train, some, uh, uh, some paces for your training plan. A resource that I like to use, um, a couple of them that come right off the top of my head would be the run experience on YouTube. And another guy is Seth James Damore. He's got a YouTube channel and he he's cool. He's funny. He puts out a lot of great information. He was a collegiate runner for Colorado. Um, super what successful. Knows Seth James Damore. D E M O O R. Okay. I was going to put it. In the show. And I would say that your weeks need to be around 70 to 80% um, of easy running. You know, just starting out, making sure that you're laying that solid foundation. And also easy running is, you know, we're, we're using slow twitch muscle fibers. And whenever you're using slow twitch muscle fibers, you are producing more mitochondria, right? And mitochondria gets the oxygen to your working muscles. Um, you're building more, you're getting more red blood cells, you know? And so though, that's really important. And those are created through easy running. So make sure you slow down majority of your training needs to be like a 70 to 80 percent easy running all right we're so lagging we... here oh you're good there we go if they okay. have so if they have like achilles issues so a lot of runners you know especially if like their shoes or whatever they start having achilles issues what would be some relief options for that I've ran into some Achilles issues a couple of times and a couple of things that I do very basic is ankle dorsiflexion exercises. You can look those up on YouTube. Um, and also just a lot of foam rolling, you know, and then look at your training because a lot of times you're working, you're overstressing the body and that's when you start having those injuries. So look at the intensity that you're training at, look at um, maybe you're not doing a lot of mobility work, also strength training, um, just working, getting in the gym, working through ranges of motion, doing it at home, working through ranges of motions. Um, downward dogs are great. Holding that pose for 30 seconds to a minute, you know, a few rounds of that. That's really great for the Achilles as well. Um, so, yeah, that's a few things. 
Awesome. Um, and then what is the best heart rate slash zone to have while running different? Like, so if you're training Hills or if you're racing, so where would you say their range should be in these different kinds of workouts? If you're, if it, literally yesterday, I remember I told you, you try to kill me. My heart rate was up in the maximum area. I was up in like the 196. I promise you I was about to kill over. So I don't think it should get that high unless you're wanting to get, have to get resuscitated on the treadmill at Planet Fitness. <laughs> oh man, you put me on blast right now. I feel so bad about that. I was I was sitting here eating dinner whenever the text came through, and I was like, "Oh crap! Oh god! I hope not. I hope <laughs> I know. I don't, I'm not, but I like it because it's pushing me. So like, I would have never, like, I would have never even tried it. So that's one thing, like, I say is the best thing about working with a running coach. And I'm gonna like toot your own horn here. You're toot your horn real quick right here. Is that it pushes you outside of your comfort zone. So like, whenever I was just training by myself, just running, I would never push myself out of my comfort zone. Like I would never, you know, it was always the same type of runs. It was always an easy run. It was always just, you know, I focus on increasing mileage, but I never really push myself like that. But when it's like written in my plan, I'm the type of person that I'm like, all right, well, if he thinks I can do it, let's do it. And it showed me like, I can actually do it, not 800 meters, but I can definitely do it for 400 meters. And so it, it showed me, you know, it's like, you're the only person that puts yourself these like limits on yourself. Like, and it's nice to have that other person like you to believe that, oh, well, it's possible for me you put it there. And so I tried it and yeah, it was a little hard for me. And I wasn't, I still did it y'all. I completed that workout. You crushed that. I did. I completed it, but I would have never even attempted it if it wasn't for him. So that's a benefit of that. Sorry. I just had to feel like I had to redeem after I roasted you right there. (laughs) So yeah. I mean, you know, Allie, that's, what you were doing yesterday was what is called critical critical velocity training. Now, critical velocity training is a little bit harder than threshold training, but it's not as hard as VO2 max training. So you were probably in the 90% or a little bit higher of your max heart rate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, historically or, you know, one of the old ways of finding your max heart rate was 220 minus your age. Well, now they found a different formula that's actually a little bit more accurate, and it's actually 211 minus .64 times your age. So if you put that in, like mine is 211 minus .64 times 36. So my max heart rate is 188. Right. So once you get that, then you can start looking at the zones. First, you got to get your max heart rate. Then you start looking at zones. Now, zone one training is typically just warming up, stretching. You're just doing some mobility work, getting the heart rate up just slightly. That's 50 to 60 percent. Zone two is 60 to 70 percent of your max heart rate. And that's going to be more for long, easy runs, base training. That's also when you're going to be in uh, burning fat for fuel. Once you increase into 70, 80%, that's when you're burning glycogen, glycogen, you know, and you're burning through those glycogen stores. And that's more for improving your aerobic condition and marathon effort for training. Um, steady state runs, like if I were to give you a, a four-mile tempo run, that you're going to be probably in 70, 80% of your max heart rate. You know, and that pace for you right now, if I'm remembering correctly, you probably around 945 or something. 
you know, you can do that for four miles without dying. And so, um, you know, that's the majority of your, um, of your long steady state runs are going to be at that type of, it's not too easy, but it's not too hard. Something that you can hold for, you know, 30 to 60 minutes. Um, zone four is that's going to be for like long intervals, 800s, K repeats, 1200s, mile repeats. That's going to be threshold tra uh, training. Um, another <laughs> expression that my coach uses, a lot of runners are either jogging, running too slow, or they're ripping ass. <laughs> and so you want to be somewhere in between, right? And zone four is kind of getting up there where you're just you're running a little too hard for it to be of any value for any kind of distance race, you know. Um, so zone four is 80 to 90 percent. And then zone five, which I think that you were in yesterday, is 90 to 100 percent of your max heart rate. That's all out sprint. It, it can also be short interval. It could be anything up to 400 meters um, close to your max speed. So that's probably what we were what we're, you know, starting to hit on yesterday. But um, hill training, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of hill training, that's for somebody that's already got a base built, you know, somebody's got some volume, got some running in already to uh, not just a beginner, but, you know, they're borderline uh, novice and getting in. They've done a couple of races. And so um, hill training, it's really low risk, high reward. You know, you could get out there on a hill, not super steep, somewhere, I don't know, 7% seven, 7% grade if you're using a treadmill. Nothing, nothing over that, and you could do some longer intervals on a hill. You could go up to two minutes, you know, and keep it. You want to try to have your heart rate somewhere in between about seventy-five and ninety percent of the max, you know, not overstressing the body helps your running economy, your running form. I do run. I would do hill training every Monday. I think it's really important. You could do hill training every week, you know, and so getting out there and building that leg strength up. Mental toughness, you know, when I'm getting on this hill or I'm putting the treadmill out on incline and I'm getting after it, and you get out there on race day and you're running on a flat course, you feel like a badass. You can do What's anything. A flat course. I'm fucking no <laughs> We're going to have to get you picking some flat courses, Allie. I don't know what I don't know what that is. Being from Georgia, what would you do if you had a cramp in the middle of the race? How do you overcome that? <clears throat> Slow down. Um, get some sodium down. Electrolytes. First of all, make sure that you're taking those things before you even start your race. Um, I know that uh, there's a there's a Dr. James, uh, Dr. James Nicola D'Antonio, I think his name is. And he is an expert on sodium. And he talks about um, whenever we so before I do my long runs, before I do any type of effort, anything other than easy runs, I'll do twenty five hundred milligrams of sodium. So that keeps me from cramping. That also increases my blood volume getting my blood to my working muscles throughout my run that gets me ahead of the game. That way I'm not bonking throughout my run. So I use pink Himalayan salt, get a teaspoon, dump it in my water, chug that a couple hours before I go out the door. So that's something that people can do as well. I use liquid IV because I don't, like I don't know how much, how many milligrams of sodium does that have? A shit ton. I don't know exactly right off the top of my head, yeah. but it's got a lot. I keep it everywhere. It's got sodium, 510 milligrams. That's great. And so that's I, whenever I ran my marathon, this was what was in my water bottle. And so it helped a lot because it was really hot in Nashville in March. I so, wonder how much better you would have felt if you had put five times that amount. 
before or you I wouldn't have got lost. <laughs> <laughs> you might have got a Boston qualifier. You never know. Oh, okay. You're funny. We're going to get you there. We're going to get you there. Um. Okay. So, how can you do something wrong if you just start running by yourself? So, like, if you just put some shoes on and you're like, "Fuck it, I'm going to try running because." Caleb and Allie make it sound badass. Can I do something wrong and like severely injure myself and cripple myself and die? Well, I don't think you might, you may feel like you're dying, but you probably won't die. Um, I would say running is, has, I mean, you have a really, really high risk for injury, especially if you get out there and you're overstressing your body and you're hammering your central nervous system, then things are going to start to fall apart. So I would start out like we talked about a few minutes ago. If you're just starting, let's do some intervals. Let's do 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. <clears throat> let's do that consistently. You know, uh, let's, let's set a goal of doing it three times, four times a week for a month. No more than that. You know, just uh, start slow and uh, just be consistent and build, you'll build it over time. So. Something I did was when I first started, like I would listen to like a half a song and like run a half a song and then like walk there you go. and run. So like, if you're like, I don't have a timer, use your music. So like, you know, when I first started, it was walk, run a half a song and then I would literally walk <coughs> the rest of the half a song and then a whole nother song. So it was like run a half, walk a one and a half, run a half, walk one and a half. And then I progressed from there. So it's the same thing as him. It's just working your way up. But like, honestly, I don't think there's any way to like, fuck it up. At least I didn't. And I had zero yeah. idea. I didn't even know there was any types of, like, I was just like, Hmm, I wonder if I can run a little further today. Like, I wonder if I can do this. I feel like the more you do it, the more you just kind of figure it out, but then there gets a point wherever you need like, okay, so I've done this a little while. I've kind of getting the idea. I've Googled some stuff. When do you, they think they would need to hire a running coach? Like, when do they think, when do you think people would truly benefit from hiring a running coach? When you, when you get to the, come to the realization that you want to do something audacious and you want to do something that's going to require a lot of discipline and that's going to require more than you being your own coach. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I think we, we make our, we, most times I'm speaking for myself, but I make a terrible coach. I need somebody to kind of, for myself, for myself. I don't coach myself very we well. Don't want, I, we don't. We don't want to push ourselves. We want to keep ourselves in this safe exactly. little box where it's comfortable exactly. and it's not scary and it's a lot easier. It's the same thing I tell my friends. Like whenever I used to go to the gym by myself, like I would do literally the same exact thing every single day. I went to the gym because it was up to me and I was the one that deciding it. And anytime it got uncomfortable, anytime that it got really hard, I would back up because. I was the only one that was, you know, creating that plan. So it helps me just stay accountable. I know that's for sure. Another thing too uh, that I look at um, as a coach is, is, is a runner's ability and, and a runner's motivation. Because you might have somebody that has a high amount of ability, just a natural runner, just gifted, but their motivation sucks. Or you might have somebody that has no ability, just lacing up the shoes, but they're ready to do whatever it is that they're ready to run through a wall if you tell them to go do that. Right. And so that's the type of athlete that you got to back off because that, you know, then you got to really see like, Oh crap. You know, this person, if I tell them to go out and try to run a four minute mile, they're going to go out and do it. 
So you got to really be careful and, and really know your athlete and see how they respond and see, you know, how they're self-motivated and all those different things. And so those definitely play in, in part. Would you say like somebody that's wanting to run a five, like somebody that's goals to run a, a 5k or 10k, do you think they would benefit from a running coach or if it's more like if they're running to run like a half marathon or a marathon? Any distance. Any distance that, you know, somebody that they really want to prioritize their health and make sure they're getting to the starting line, um, confident and injury free, definitely look into hiring a coach. Okay. And so I guess let's take that into, so you're a running coach, you're my running coach, you're amazing, immaculate, literally, I have seen so much gain in my physical fitness and just my speed in the last six weeks that we've been working together. Um, and I worked with another one before and it's just like the variations. I could literally hype you up all day long. How would they find you? How do they work with you? Like, what does that kind of process look like? Um, and then just kind of like hype yourself up before we end this. Okay. So you can find me on my Instagram uh, handle, which is underscore recovery line 86. And so we typically like, uh, I'll jump on a call and first and foremost, I want to build a, get personal, you know, and I want to see, uh, just, I want to see what makes the person tick and find out more about them and their daily stresses and how many kids they have, what kind of job they have, all these things coming, um, come into play whenever you're, you're getting ready to, uh, to coach an athlete, you know? And so you got to know all those things. And that's typically how I do things is I jump on a call and we just talk for a while. You tell me some things that you want to accomplish. Tell me some, you know, the recent goal races or the recent races that you've had and uh, we, we formulate uh, a very individualized plan we'll plug in your i don't use some gen generic plan i do have some tendencies that i like to do i do have things that i definitely include in with a lot of my runners but every runner is unique everybody is on a different uh, ability and um so i definitely all those things play in play in part um but yeah i mean it's very uh you know very personalized i, I try to do Check-in calls, I'm, I'm available via text anytime throughout the week. Um, I try to check in with my athletes once a week, just see how they're doing. You know, we can we change things around. We switch things up. Allie, you're going on vacation. You know, like I told you next week, don't even worry about running. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your time. Like, that, that's the oh, least. Oh, ain't no family going on this vacation. It is only mama. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> five days in the Dominican Republic with no children, no husband. Amen. You go, girl. Yeah, praise the Lord. When this airs, I will be on the beach six margaritas in at that point. <laughs> All right. I love it. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, you know, I so appreciate you coming on this podcast episode. I know this one was a little bit longer, but there was so much goodness, so much just truth and faith. And uh, I love it all so much. Um, now, if you guys want to go check him out, remember he's at under score recovery line 86. He shares so many helpful running tips. Even if you're not looking for a coach right now, make sure you give him a follow. Like I said, he does a lot of reels, a lot of fitness, a lot of motivation, just anything like that. If you like following me, you'll like following him also. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on this episode. And I really appreciate you sharing all of your vast knowledge and using these terms that I don't even know. So y'all make sure that you have your phone out to Google as this episode progresses, because I'm sure you're going to need it like I do. Um, <laughs> but anyways, Caleb, I am so appreciative of you. Thank you so much for coming to this episode today. 
Okay. Uh, thank you for having me, Allie. Like before we before you check off here and um, in the call, I definitely want to talk about us coming back on because you got a big you got a big race coming up in October. He's literally putting this out there. He is forcing me in my hand right now. I know what you're. I see what you're doing. We so we, well. We don't. We don't have all the deets. You know. I think there's static on the line. <laughs> we don't have all the deets figured out just yet, but Allie and I are, are in the uh, beginning stages of working something out. And uh, I think it's going to be beneficial to all you guys that follow her. So y'all be on the lookout for that. Bye, but bye. We're not in, we're, we're still in negotiations of him wanting me to do another marathon. That's <laughs> Not only is she going to do another marathon, she's going to crush, absolutely crush a marathon. This is why you need him as your running coach, because he pushes you outside of your comfort zone and, you know, believes enough for the both of you until eventually you give in and just go for it. I appreciate you so much. Yes, I will be doing another marathon winter, spring. It's going to happen. I know. Allie, I foresee you getting a Boston qualifier by a year, maybe, maybe a year and a half. Wow. We're just we're going for it, aren't we? I do. Can you imagine Allie Griffith at Boston running yeah, the Boston? I can imagine it, but it would be a charity like bid in. That's <laughs> no, you're going to qualify. You you can do this. For all of you non-runners out there, my marathon was five hours and 46 minutes. Ask Caleb, what is a Boston qualifying time, my friend? For you, it'd be 3.30. Exactly. <laughs> That's eight minute pace. That's eight minute pace. You don't get there overnight. You didn't get to where you are overnight. And you already understand that. That's why you're going to be great at it. You're going I, to be I, I am going to love having this episode on the log for one day, eventually, if, if or when we ever get there, so I can play it back and remind myself. <laughs> yeah, you're not wanting any part of it right now, but I'm telling you, just consistency, patience, and you, you got it figured out already. So you do all those things very well. Well, that's what I, you know, I want y'all to know that literally every single person, no matter where they're at in their journey, has fears, has uncertainties, has, you know, moments that they don't believe that they can possibly do it. It might just look different than the phase that you're in, but just know that every single person that's seen success is not because of the lack of fear or the lack of, you know, diversity or, you know, anything standing in their way. It's because that they've looked it in the face and went in, in, in spite of it, that they fought against the fear and they decided instead of running away from it, running towards it. No pun intended. Absolutely. <laughs> But yes, we will. We've got some fun things. Some, you know, whenever I do sign up for this marathon, we're going to do a whole Instagram, like one with me type thing. We're going to make sure there's a virtual option. So we're going to have some fun, fun little things in the work. So y'all make sure you stay tuned. TB, TBD, to be determined. It will happen though. Yes. You're going to crush it. Y'all, well, thank you for hanging out with us. Thanks for Absolutely. hanging out on this episode. If you loved it, make sure to share it on your Instagram stories and tag me and Caleb. We really appreciate it. And until next time, we will see you later, alligator. Bye. Talk to you soon.